pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu roupien. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Hello everyone, welcome back for another episode of this amazing, delicious, fantastic and humble podcast. My name is David G. Martins and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast is called Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. I am originally from Portugal and I've been living in the United States for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if they've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode, I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our families sitting around the table, and even which ingredients are overrated and underrated and much more. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on all the platforms you have access to. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes and follow the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david martins. I hope you have an amazing time listening to every episode. And don't forget I'm Portuguese, so if something doesn't sound exactly right, just pretend that you understand. My guest today is a multi-award-winning culinary historian, cookbook author, and founder of La Varenne Cooking School in Paris, which opened from 1975 to 2007. The classes continue in Santa Monica, California through 2017. In 2018, she was inducted into the James Beard Foundation Hall of Fame, just like you do with rock stars, for her career. In 2014, she was awarded the rank of Legion of Honor for her accomplishments in promoting the gastronomy of France. She has written more than 30 books, including La Varenne Pratique, the 17-volume photo illustrated look and cook series, which was turned into a 26-part PBS program, The Country Cooking of France, One Souffle at a Time, which is for me one of the best titles ever, and most recently, Women in the Kitchen, 12 Essential Cookbook Writers Who Defined the Way We Eat from 1661 to Today. It's a privilege and an honor to have her with me today, and maybe, just maybe, she'll give me a few cooking tips. And Willen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. How are you today? Just fine. Two important questions before we start this. Have you ever been to Portugal? Yes, I have. And what I, a long, long time ago, what I remember most clearly are those wonderful blue and white tiles everywhere. That's true. Had some delicious fish. That's true as well. We, when I moved to the United States, I, I was first the chef at the Portuguese embassy. And the official dining room, it's all covered with those styles, actually. It's a very beautiful uh, dining room. Yes. Do you know any Portuguese words? None at all. No, it's okay. You don't Thank have to. Say. So can you talk a little bit about your new book, Women in the Kitchen? Can you explain a little bit what was the overall idea of the book? Well, I've written a history of cookbooks called the Cookbook Library. And at the time, I thought there is so much to say about books that were written by women as a kind of separate subject. I would love to look at it in more detail because the first woman's cookbook to be published is 1671, which is comparatively late in the history of publishing and published books. My husband and I collected, and still do, um, collect 
uh, historical cookbooks. So I got just a few out. Here's the first printed cookbook by a woman, which is really rather charming. Let me hold it close at the time. And what's the date of that book? That's 1671. Wow, yes. Yes. And they're carefully covering their head, head so they don't catch their hair in the fire. And their skirts are short so they don't get dirty in the kitchen. And they're using the few tools that at the time you were using. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really quite a complex book. I mean, it has lots of recipes. It knows what it's doing in the kitchen, what the cook should be doing. She's clearly well-educated, has a very clear idea of what she wants to get across. She explains about a custard curdling and that kind of thing. So already women educated women, literate women, which were few and far between, probably still at that date, were applying the knowledge and education in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. How did you choose the woman to be featured in the book? Well, they kind of chose themselves because they stand out in their field. Hannah Woolley that I was just showing you It's a simple book. It's a very long way from Hannah Woolley to, let's say, Julia Child. Um, but both of them are aiming at the same thing, and that is to explain what's happening in the kitchen and help whoever is cooking there to get things right and be able to put their creation on the table. Yeah. Uh, what similarities did you find despite their time period and location? Well, they're all intelligent women of character. Mm. They know what they want to say and with more or less success, but on the whole, great success, they get it across. Who was the most intriguing female chef that you profiled and why? Uh, well, she wasn't a chef. The word chef, by the way, didn't, was not used in the kitchen until the mid-1700s. And then it was only applied to men. Man. Mm -hmm. Chef meaning leader in French. And chef was not applied to women, really, until comparatively recently, like the 1970s. Mm -hmm. Women would, and Julia Child, for instance, always said she was not a chef, even though the program was entitled The French Chef, her program, she really disliked that. Mm -hmm. Said, I'm not a chef, I'm a cook, she would say. Yeah. <laughs> so which one was the more intriguing oh, that, that, that you profiled? Hannah, Gla Hannah Glass was the most fun. Hannah Glass, she wrote the next published cookbook. Anyway, 1747, it was oh, widely distributed in the States. Hannah Woolley, by the way, the first cookbook was one of the very few, few even books to be distributed in the States. 
and Hannah Glass, it's the most beautiful book. And it was, oh, the go-to cookbook for at least a hundred years. Okay. It has more than a thousand recipes. It's not terribly well organized. They're all over the place, but it's pretty easy to cook from. Yeah. Is there someone that you wish you could have had in your book, but you weren't able to from any time period? Oh, well, that would have been the English cooks, just two or three of them, because the Simon and Schuster are the publishers of Women in the Kitchen. And I was looking towards an, the books that were distributed in the States. So we don't have the English equivalent of Fanny Farmer, which is Mrs. Beaton, um, who was about 30 years earlier in England. And we don't have Jane Grigson, who was today's English equivalent of Julia Child in England. Mm-hmm. Good friend of mine. How do you see the evolution and revolution of women in the kitchen and how hard was and still is for them to establish themselves in the culinary world? To answer the second part, first, I think it's much, much easier for women nowadays to establish themselves in the culinary world because there's a much wider range of careers There's food styling, photography, there's writing cookbooks as an almost taken for granted if you're a cook. You write and get your own cookbook published. There's the internet. There are all sorts of ways into the food field. Diet, cooking, which even when I began, The range was much narrower. How do you overcome gender inequality in the food industry? And does that solution apply to other fields as well? Well, I personally just take no notice and go ahead and do it. So it's not something that's ever bothered me. I'm an only child and I always went my own way anyway. And I'm the important thing. If you want to do something, never mind what gender you are, just take no notice when people start giving you a hard time. I was going to ask you, which advice would you give to a young chef that's starting her career? Is a little based on what you just said? Yes, it is. And it can be tough. I mean, a lot of life can be tough from time to time. And the main thing is just to keep on going and do what you want to do. Do what you're determined to do. Mm -hmm. One of the women you talk about in your book is Julia Child, who's who's absolutely adored by a lot of people in the United States. How did you meet her and what was your first impression of her? Well, she was adored by me too. She was a very close friend of all of us, of all the family. Oh, well, Julia, which is typical of Julia, I had written a series of cookbooks, and she wrote me a charming letter. She found, got hold of my address and wrote a charming letter saying how good they were and how helpful and how she one day would love to meet me. I mean, that was classic, Julia, just kind of out of the blue because 
She was always helping young people and she enormously enjoyed meeting others who shared her interests and she wanted to know why they were interested in food and how they enjoyed being in the food world and what they were doing and what they hoped to achieve. And I opened a cooking school called La Varenne in Paris. And Julia was one of the great inspirations. She invested a good deal of time and lots of advice in the school and what we should be doing and where we should be going and how we could get there. Mm -hmm. And she did throughout her life. Did she ever cook something for you? And if so, what was your favorite <laughs> dish that you can remember? Well, the dish I remember was... Julia always involved everybody in her kitchen when she was cooking. And my husband and I went round for dinner one night and she said, oh, she said, we're having roast beef. And she said, and you must make the Yorkshire pudding. <laughs> Come from Yorkshire. And so I did. And exactly. It's very easy to make Yorkshire pudding because mm -hmm. I wanted to have me on the spot. Yeah. I like to put people on the spot. Yeah, I used to teach occasionally with on the platform with her. Yeah. And I'd like to kind of catch you out. <laughs> How did you end up in the culinary world, doing everything from the cooking school to books? Did you always have a passion for cooking? Yes, always. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I was always in the kitchen when I was a child. My mother was in the garden um, and we had a fat old cook and the kitchen was a lovely place. It was warm and it smelt nice and there were things to eat and there was always something happening. And mummy used to try to make me go into the garden because that was healthy and I never took to it. <laughs> it disappeared as soon as she'd gone off with the spade. Do you still find joy in cooking? Oh, yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. So what was your first memory of taste? Well, that was probably the ginger biscuits that we had, cookies are called biscuits mm -hmm. in England, that we had at Elevens' time. And I would have a cup of milk, a mug of milky tea, and there'd be a crisp homemade cookie, and you dipped it in the tea. And if you dipped it for too long, it would all dissolve and fall into crumbs. But if you dipped it for just long enough, the ginger got all hot and, and you chomped it down. Did you dip a little bit or long or too long? Just a little bit. Just, okay. One, two, three, four. And, and that's, yes. Just a little bit. And then you dip the next corner. Mm -hmm. The most underrated ingredient for you. Oh, and that reflects Yorkshire. I think particularly in the States, It must be lard. I love anything fatty, that's mm -hmm. true. And pork fat is very little used, used in Mexican cooking, but very little in the States. And it has, it's lovely and rich, and it has lots of taste. An overrated ingredient for you. Well, I don't like beets. Everybody's all about beets. Thank you, Anne. We are together in this club. I don't like beets oh, as well. Oh, I'm so glad. They you taste like dirt for me. In there, a nuisance. Thank you. Red Thank you. all over everywhere. They leak into salads and so beets.
beats. Next time someone tells me I'm weird because I don't like beats, yeah. I would say, you know who else doesn't like beats? And Willen. Just to see. Just to put them absolutely. on the spots. Yes. Absolutely. Just to put them on the spots. And then uh, you can ask them why they like beats. <laughs> the best breakfast you can have. Well, that is three-star chef Marc Vera on Lake Annecy. And we said we had his wonderful meal the night, three-star dinner the night before. And uh, we said, look, we've got to leave early. We really don't want breakfast. We just want a cup of coffee. And they said, no, 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 you've got to have breakfast. And we were right at the top of this sort of chalet that he has on the borders of Lake Annecy. And we heard tramp, tramp, tramp on the stairs. And two chambermaids in apes, traditional aprons and white collars and sprigged dresses staggered in with trays full of the most delicious breakfast you can imagine. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was partly, but that was not so interesting to us. The English style of bacon and egg and whatever. But I mean, it was lovely, fresh croissant and breads and muffin type things and fresh fruits and poached fruits and fruit, couple of fruit, fresh fruit juices. And it was tea as well as coffee. It was absolutely amazing. What's the strangest combination food-wise some people might do that you cannot accept? Oh, well, it isn't that I can't accept it. I think carrot cake is always an odd idea. It's, nobody really knows quite where it comes from. It's good. But not that good, right, Anne? But not that good. No. <laughs> no. And it has to have that rather icky frosting, yeah. cream cheese frosting. Otherwise, it really has no taste at all. No. Okay. And it's very American. It is. I believe to come from Germany, but nobody really sort of knows. The other odd one that I'm devoted to is apple pie with cheese, a piece of cheese. And that's Yorkshire. And you would never have a fresh apple, slice of apple pie, without a piece of Wensleydale cheese, which is where all my ancestors come from. I never heard that apple pie with a little bit of cheese. An apple pie without the cheese is like a kiss without the squeeze. <laughs> So the name of this podcast, it's called Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. That's two Portuguese phrases. Uh, turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that exceeded all expectations. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes in your life? I think I've been turning more chickens. I'm and very well, yes. Boring ideas. I'm just closing out on the manuscript, I don't know if it'll be published or not, of a book called Cooking with Grandma, okay. because I have grandchildren who are just, oh, the youngest is six and the eldest is 12, and it's lovely having them in the kitchen, and we make an awful mess, and, and they all enjoy it, without exception. I do, do you have a carrot cake recipe on that book? No. No. Okay, I was just wondering. So to wrap up everything, you know, everybody knows you, Anne, but we, I call this segment the sell your fish, 
We mean in Portugal, that means talk about yourself. So basically, you just launched a book where people can find you, where people can find your book. What's next for you? Well, we started on the next. The next is closing out on cooking with grandma. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, I can find a publisher. But I, it has little stories about the children in the book. And I'm hoping to find an illustrator who can kind of bring the whole idea to life. I have lots of little stories in it. I'm sorry, what was the other thing you asked? Uh, no, and, and people can find your book that just came out, right? Women in the Kitchen is going to come out now, yes. next week, yes. a couple of weeks. Yeah. That's it. It'll be, it's on Amazon. Perfect. I think you can pre-order it already. Yes, perfect, perfect. So, and this was a pleasure. It was really a pleasure. I know it's busy times for everyone. I told you before we start recording, officially the podcast comes out today. This episode, it's not going to, but I already released. So I don't, I cannot imagine a better way to start with talking with you. It's an absolutely pleasure. You know, if I ever go to England, I might make you some carrot cake. Well, let's just try or some beets. Let's have some beet salad together. Please, no. <laughs> so no, we can order it. And leave it on the side. That's true. That's true. It was an absolutely pleasure. I wish you a great and day. Please, everybody, look for Women in the Kitchen by Anne Whelan. You can order on Amazon. And I'm sure it's a great book. So thank you very much, you. Anne, for your time. And have a lovely day. Thank you very much. And I hope to meet you one day soon. Me too. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. I want to thank all of you for the comments and reviews. And for those that haven't done that, don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave a review, please. Tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. In the next episodes, I'll start a new feature called the Embassy Chef's Corner. So if you want to leave me a question or a comment, you can find me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. You can also send me an email to the longest email ever created, which is info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. See you next time. Adios.